Matthew chapter 26. And the Holy Spirit gave me such a wonderful message for y'all today. I mean, it is so sweet, so precious, so good. It says, Then cometh Jesus with them unto a place called Gethsemane, and saith unto the disciples, Sit ye here while I go and pray yonder. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Then saith he unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry ye here, and watch with me. And he went a little further, and fell on his face, and prayed, saying, O my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. And he cometh unto the disciples, and findeth them asleep, and saith unto Peter, What could ye not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray, that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away again the second time and prayed, saying, O my father, if this cup may not pass away from me, except I drink it, thy will be done. And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. And he left them and went away again and prayed the third time, saying the same words. Then cometh he to his disciples and saith unto them, Sleep on now and take your rest. Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. Behold, he is at hand that doth betray me. Okay, then turn over to Mark chapter 14. I want us to read this same account in the Gospel of Mark. Because Mark adds some. Mark 14 verse 32 says, And they came to a place which was named Gethsemane, and he saith to his disciples, Sit ye here while I shall pray. And he taketh with him Peter and James and John, and began to be sore amazed and to be very heavy. And saith unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful unto death. Tarry ye here and watch. And he went forward a little and fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible unto thee. Take away this cup from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what thou wilt. And he cometh and findeth them sleeping and saith unto Peter, Simon, sleepest thou? Couldest, thou not, couldest not thou watch one hour? Watch ye and pray, lest ye enter into temptation. The spirit truly is ready, but the flesh is weak. And again he went away and prayed and spake the same words. And when he returned, he found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy, neither wist they what to answer him. And he cometh the third time and saith unto them, Sleep on now and take your rest. It is enough. The hour is come. Behold, the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise up, let us go. Lo, he that betrayeth me is at hand. And then if you'd turn to Luke chapter 22. Actually, this account is mentioned in all four Gospels. In verse 39, And he came out and went as he was wont to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples also followed him. And when he was at the place, he said unto them, Pray that ye enter not into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast, and kneeled down and prayed, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was, as it were, great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose up from prayer and was come to his disciples, he found them sleeping for sorrow. And said unto them, Why sleep ye? Rise and pray, lest ye enter into temptation. We won't turn there, but in John chapter 18, in verse 1, I was got to thinking as I was meditating on this, because I always said the Garden of Gethsemane, and I was thinking, all three of these accounts, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, doesn't say garden, and say anything about Gethsemane being a garden. wonder how they know that. But when I got over to John chapter 18, it says they went to a garden. And so now we know why it's called the Garden of Gethsemane. Amen? Today I want to talk to you about lessons that Jesus learned in the garden. 
first of all, just to lay a little bit of foundation, let me talk to you about why did Jesus go to the garden? Or why did he go to Gethsemane? And I want to answer that question for you. I want to tell you the reason Jesus went to the Garden of Gethsemane was he went to get the victory in his soul realm. Our souls, we know, are our mind and our will and our emotions. See, you think that Jesus just automatically had the victory in every situation. But we know that Jesus was the Son of God when he was on earth, but he stripped himself, the Bible says, of his divinity, and he came as a natural man. He did not have a sin nature because he was not born of a man, did not have that seed passed from his father, but he came as a man. And he had to renew his mind like you do. And he had to make choices just like you do. And the Word of God teaches us that he was tempted and tested in all points, just as you were. The Bible says that he is touched with the feeling of our infirmity. When we feel something, he knows exactly what it feels like because he felt it. Amen? When disease attacks your body, he knows what it feels like because he felt it. He felt it when he took on all the sickness and disease of the whole world. He took it upon himself. We think, well, Jesus just had the victory automatically. No, he went to the garden and he got the victory exactly like you will have to get the victory. Amen? So that means that when Jesus triumphed, we can do what Jesus did and we can always triumph. If we'll do what the Word of God says we will always triumph because we'll triumph just exactly how Jesus triumphed. Amen? So every believer, every believer will face situations in their lives where they will also have to go to the garden and they have to get the victory over their mind, their will, and their emotions. There's some reasons that you might have to go to the garden. One reason that we have to go to the garden is when we're faced with temptation. When we're faced with temptation, we have to make a trip to the garden. Now, you know when I refer to garden here that I am speaking figuratively. I'm not talking about you going to a place where there's a lot of flowers. <laughs> I'm not talking about that. I'm speaking figuratively of that place where you go, where you get alone with God. It might be your bedroom. It might be out under a tree. It might be as you take a walk that you take a trip to the garden and you conquer, you win the victory in your mind and in your will and in your emotions. See, Satan is going to present to every believer opportunities that are against the will of God. And they will look good. Family, when are we going to catch on that Satan doesn't show up in a little red suit with a forked tail and a pitchfork in his hand? See, he presents himself as an angel of light. So Satan, many times to the body of Christ, he couldn't tempt you to do many things. He can't tempt most of you to go drink anything. It wouldn't even be a temptation for me. I'll just tell you honestly, that would not be tempting. He could not tempt me. The temptation I have is to walk in love with people that do. <laughs> feel sorry for him. Don't get me wrong. I have compassion. I just don't like to smell the smoke. Amen. So... Most of the time, the temptation that we're going to be faced with is something that presents itself to us that is not the will of God. But it looks good. It feels good to our flesh. And did you know that is just as much the devil to pull you out of the will of God as it is for him to tempt you with cocaine? It is just as much the devil for him to present a situation to you that is not the will of God and try to draw you off into something that's not the will of God, that is just as much the devil as it is when cocaine or something like that is offered to us. And see, sometimes we haven't seen that. So you will have to make a trip to the garden when you're faced with temptations that are things that are against the will of God. 
and in things that are against the word of God. The second thing that you might have to go to the garden for is to submit to the call of God on your life. When you're submitting to the call of God on your life, you take a trip to the garden and you do like Jesus did. You say, not my will, God, but your will be done. See, you really don't have a choice where you live. Hello, hello. Now that surprises some people. I had a man, very old man in the Lord. I mean, he's an older man and he's in the Lord and he's walked with God a lot of years and the sins have been saved a lot of years. But he said to me one time, this just blew me away that somebody could think like this. He said, God don't care where you live. And I thought, what? God has the hairs of my head numbered and he doesn't have a will about where I live? Yeah, he does. He has a will. And we have to go to the garden. And we have to submit ourselves to the call of God on our lives. Because we're called. Each of you are called. And you say, no, I'm not called. I'm not a preacher. But you're called even if you're not called to be a full-time ministry. You're called. You're called for something. God's got a plan for your life. He wants to use you. You're called to be used in this end-time harvest. You may be called to make tapes. You may be called to be the doorkeeper. You may be called to follow the man of God around and hold his coat. You may be called for any number of things, but each of you are called for something. And so we go to the garden when we submit to the call of God on our lives. The other thing we go to the garden for is to get the victory over the trials of life. And Debbie, you say, are you telling me? I'm spirit-filled. I'm not going to have any trials. Well, you hadn't been around long. You hadn't been spirit-filled very long, or you'd find out. <laughs> you'd find out you can't be an overcomer unless you overcome. What is it Joe Morris says? You don't get a testimony without a what? Test. That's right. All of you already know that, that even though we believe that you will conquer, you will triumph in every area, that you are going to have some things to triumph over in life. And you go to the garden to get the victory over the trials of life. You go to the garden and get victory over sickness, over financial situations, over situations with your children, situations at work, whatever those situations that are confronting you. You go to the garden and that's where you get the victory over them. And the fourth thing that I want to mention to you today that you might have to go to the garden for is to decide to believe the Word of God. See, you'd think that's just automatic. You might think it's just automatic. Yeah, I believe. I'm a believer. Well, you don't know if you're a believer until you are forced to believe. You can say you're a believer, but you don't really know if you're a believer until you really have to believe. Now, I'm not talking about being believing in Jesus. I'm not talking about being saved here. I'm talking about believing the promises of the Word of God. Amen? I'm talking about it's easy to say, I believe in healing. But you find out whether you really believe in healing when sickness has attacked your body. Amen? You can say, I believe God wants to prosper us, and I believe, Philippians 4.19, that my God shall supply all of my need according to His riches and glory. But what kind of panic do you get in, family, when the bank balance says zero, and you have a mountain of bills, you find out for sure if you believe, Philippians 4.19, that my God shall supply. And you don't know it. You see, you can think you're walking by faith, but when you've got money in the bank, you never really know for sure. But you find out what you believe and you go to the garden to decide what you believe. Have you all heard about tightrope walker that had the rope stretched across the canyon and he told everybody, I can walk across this canyon on this tightrope. And so he did. He walked across the canyon on the tightrope and they all cheered and they said, yes, he did it. And then he did something very interesting. He got a wheelbarrow and he put his own little boy in the wheelbarrow and he walked across that canyon with his own little boy in the wheelbarrow. 
And then he walked back across the canyon and they all cheered. And you know, while he was walking across, they were all <gasps> holding their breath within, you know, just because that little boy was in that wheelbarrow. But when he got back across, he said, do y'all believe I can walk across the canyon and push a wheelbarrow with somebody in it? And they said, yes, we believe that. And he said, do you believe I can do it again? And they said, yes, we believe that. And he said, okay, get in the wheelbarrow. Now then we find out if we really believe, don't we? And see, that's what we have to do too. We go to that garden. We make that decision to step out there in faith and walk on the water, walk on the word. And we step out there and we find out in the garden and we decide to believe the holy written word of God. Amen? And every believer has to do that at some point in their life. Every believer has to decide whether they believe the Word of God. See, the Word is true whether you ever believe it or not. But you have to make a decision whether this Word's going to be true for me. Now, when you face situations, I want you to know, and you already figured this out, but I'm reminding you this morning, when you face situations in your life, did you know that there are voices that speak to your mind? There are voices that scream at your mind, and they speak to your head, and those voices are contrary to the Word of God. And Jesus was no exception. When he went to the garden family, he was going there to submit his soul, to win the victory in his mind, in his will, and his emotions. Did you know that Satan was there screaming at him in his ears? Just like Satan screams at us. I'm telling you, when you've got sickness in your body, there's two things screaming at you. One thing is Satan is whamming your mind with the word of God's not true. You better get to the doctor. You know early detection. Well, I tell you, Satan will start screaming early detection at you. Nobody ever heard that but me. But there's another thing that screams when you have sickness in your body. Your body screams like everything. Just like a stuck pig. Just screams, screams, screams. Your body's screaming. And you have to go to the garden and you have to make a decision. Amen? And you know, when your checkbook, when it needs help, I mean, it's sick. Your checkbook can be sick, you know. And when your checkbook is sick, it screams at you. And you know, sometimes the creditors are screaming as well as Satan. And see, sometimes we don't realize what was transpiring in Jesus' life. Huh. Satan was screaming at him, you better not, this is never going to work. You know, I don't know what he was saying to him, but I know one thing, he was there screaming at him. And Jesus had to go to that garden, he had to get the victory. Now there's some lessons we can learn as we read through these accounts from Jesus in the garden, and we're going to be mostly working out of Matthew chapter 26, if you want to turn there. There's some lessons to be learned here. And these lessons are going to help you. The things that we can glean, that the Holy Spirit's pointing out to us from these scriptures here. And one of the things we learn here is that when you go to the garden, family, you go alone. Remember that old hymn that we used to sing? It says, I come to the garden alone. Family, it's true. When you go to the garden, you go alone. Now, Jesus was just like us in the sense of he wanted to take somebody with him. He took Peter, James, and John. He wanted to take them with him. But the truth is, when you go to the garden, family, nobody can go with you. And there comes a point that you realize that healing and situations in your life are really between you and God. You've got to settle it between you and God. As a baby Christian, when you first start out, sometimes people can help you along in their faith. But every believer comes to the point in their life where they know they got to get it on their own. They got to receive it from Jesus. 
That their healing is between them and God. That their deliverance is between them and God. Every one of us come to that point where financially we realize it's just us and God. And that no person on earth can decide for you. Nobody can decide for you. Nobody else can decide for you. And you know what, family? And this is hard for us sometimes. No one can help us decide. In Luke 22, in verse 39, it says, And he came out and went as he want to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples also followed him. In verse 40 there, it says, And when he was at the place, he said unto them, Pray that ye enter not into temptation. I want you to notice there that Jesus didn't ask them to pray for him. He didn't say, Pray for me. He knew he had to get it on his own. He said, pray for yourselves, that you don't enter into temptation. Do y'all see that? So when you get the victory, you get it alone. Now, another thing that we learn in the garden, another lesson, is that you choose in the garden. I want you to notice choices that Jesus was making. Jesus was choosing to believe in the garden. That's what he was making a choice. You think, well, boy, did Jesus have to choose to believe? Yeah, when you know in John... 18, 1 through 4 says that Jesus knew all things that would come upon him. Well, how did he know? He read the Word. He read the Old Testament. He knew what was going to come upon him. He read Isaiah 53. And he knew he was going to be wounded for our transgressions. That he was going to be bruised for our iniquities. He knew the chastisement of our peace was going to be upon him. And that he was going to bear stripes. He knew. He knew that in a sense God was going to turn his back on him. And he knew that in Psalm, I believe it's in Psalm 16, look what else he knew. And this is what he was choosing. He knew he was going to hell. He knew he was taking a trip to hell. And he was human, remember? He had stripped himself of his divinity. He had to choose just like we did. And here's what he had to choose to believe. In Psalm 16, verse 8, it says, I have set the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. Therefore my heart is glad, and my glory rejoiceth. My flesh also shall rest in hope, for thou wilt not leave my soul in hell. He had to believe that. He had to choose to believe, okay, I'm going to hell, God's going to turn his back on me, I'm not going to be in contact with my Father God, and I have to believe because it's written, because David prophetically wrote down that God will not leave my soul in hell, I have to choose to believe that, that okay, I can do this because God won't leave me there. Now that makes it interesting to realize what Jesus was going through in the garden, that he was choosing to believe the word. And he says, For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thy holy one to see corruption. Thou will show me the path of life, and thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. See, he knew what heaven was like. And he didn't want to go to hell and stay there. He knew what hell was like too. And he had to choose to believe the word of God. So in the garden is where you choose to believe the word of God. Now another thing in the garden, another truth from the garden is that destinies, destinies are decided in the garden. Family, I know you know this, but the choices you make affect many, many people. The choices you make affect your families. Did you know that? The choices you make affect destinies. And Jesus knew the choices he made in the garden affect us today. Our destiny. And millions and millions and millions of people and their destiny 
were affected by the choices he made in the garden. And it's the same with us. Another lesson we learn in the garden, these decisions that we make in the garden, that they are soul-wrenching. I want to read to you from Luke again. Luke 22, in verse 44, it says, And being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly. It says he was in agony and his sweat was, as it were, great drops of blood falling down to the ground. There's a soul wrenching in the garden. And what's wrenched there in the garden is your mind and your will and your emotions. And so why is it so soul wrenching to make these decisions? Well, I'll tell you why it's so soul wrenching. One reason, it's at this time when you are in the garden and you are making those decisions to live by the word of God, then you are making the decision to live apart from your senses, your five senses, I'm going to live apart from what I feel. I'm going to live apart from what I can see. I'm going to live apart from what I can hear. You're making a decision to live apart from those things. You're making a decision to live apart from soul ties. When you're in the garden, you're making a decision to believe the Word of God when there may be people around you that you are soulishly tied to that don't agree with that decision and that are in a panic about you making a decision like that. You make decisions to move and there's people, your family may not go along with that. You may have the heart of God, but they may not have the heart of God in that. They may be going by what they want or so forth and so on. You know what I'm getting at. And also in the garden, one reason it's so soul-wrenching is that in the garden is when you choose to live apart from your own desires. I don't think Jesus wanted to go. Well, in fact, I know he didn't. We just read there in the Word. He said, God, Father, if this cup can pass from me, then I pray it does. That was the same as saying, I don't want to do this, but I will. If you say this is what I need to do, I will. And sometimes God's going to ask you to do things that you don't want to do. Okay, the next thing we learn in the garden is in the garden, you take your will, though your will is your chooser. That's your chooser. That's what you choose with. You take your will, and in the garden, you choose his will. And I want you to notice something. This will make you feel a lot better. When Jesus was in the garden, he went three times. Did y'all notice there? The Bible says he fell down on his face, and he prayed, and then he got up. Okay, I've got this done. No, I don't have this done. And he went back again, and he prayed, and he, okay, I've got this done. And he got up and went back. No, I don't have this done yet. It took him three times he goes back before he gets his mind and his will and his emotions submitted to the will of God. Amen? Another thing we learn in the garden is in the garden you die to self. And we see the account there of when Jesus died to self. He died to self. He said, I don't want this, but I'm going to die to that. I don't want to go to the cross, but I'll die to that. I'll die to what I want, and God, I will do what you want. And I want you to notice that when you die to self, it's always night. It was nighttime. And family, when we die to self, it's always in the nighttime. You can't die to self in the daylight. When times are good, you can't say, I'm just dead to that. No, we die to self when we're going through the trial, in other words. That's what I'm saying. And in the garden, another thing we do is we die to others. You know, you've got to die to your family sometimes. That's what it means when Jesus says in Mark 10, no man having left houses and lands and brothers and sisters and mothers for my sake and the gospel. Because see, not everybody all the time goes along with what God has shown you and the call of God that is on your life. 
They don't always go along with that. And so we have to die to others. We also have to die to them in the sense of depending upon them. Amen? And we also die to the body of Christ in the garden. In that sense too. I want to tell you something. And this is going to help your faith right here. This right here will help your faith. Family, when you're dying, and you're in that trip to the garden, and you're dying to self, You'll look out of the garden and you'll say, Oh, they're having a good time. I'm in agony and they're having a good time. Did you notice there that when Jesus was in the garden agonizing, what were his disciples doing? They were sleeping. And when you have symptoms in your body, I know I've been there. When you have symptoms in your body and you believed you received when you prayed and you're in that faith stance where I believe I'm healed, I don't care what my body feels like, I don't care what my body's saying, I don't care what the doctor says by his stripes, I am healed. When you are in that place, you will look out and you'll look out at the body of Christ and they'll be healthy looking. And you'll be going, why me? Here I am. I'm hurting all over. Look how good they feel. And you can tell they feel good. And that bothers you some. But let me tell you what's going to bother you more. Is you're going to look out there and you're going to see some heathen. Some dope addict. And you know. You can tell. They're heathen and they feel good. You can tell when somebody feels good. See, when you're in that faith walk, you're going to look out there and you're going to say, man, they feel good and that don't feel fair. That don't seem fair. And family, when your budget is on nothing and you're believing God to put food on the table this week, I want to tell you something. You're going to look out and you're going to see others in the body of Christ buying new cars. Been there, done that. And I want to tell you something, family. When you're single and you're believing God for a mate and Satan's buffeting you at all, if you just had a husband, if you just had a wife, you're going to look out at the body of Christ and they're going to be married. And when you're barren and you're believing God for a baby and you're just believing, oh man, you've got your faith on the line for a baby, you're going to look out at others and they're going to be pregnant. In fact, Satan will be sure to point it out to you every time you go to the mall, you'll see 59 pregnant women. You'll say everybody in this whole city of Tuscaloosa is pregnant but me. The ones that aren't pregnant will have a baby in their arms. See, when you're in the trial, you're going to notice that others are living. When you're in the garden, you're going to look up like Jesus did and you're going to see the disciples sleeping. And see, the temptation in all that is, one temptation is self-pity. And if you get into self-pity because the body of Christ is prospering and you're believing God for food. And you know, here's what else. Let me tell you what else will happen to you. You'll be believing God for food on the table and God will tell you don't tell anybody you've got a need just trust me and you'll watch them buying new cars and new dresses and talking about where they're going on vacation and Satan will scream in your ear they don't even care about you I'm helping you here because I know he's done it to you he's done it to every one of you and God will hide your need from them because he wants you to believe him he wants you to know that he supplies all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus and he wants you to know he doesn't need a man to do it he can use a raven and he can use a heathen he can use a little old widow lady he did in the Bible and he wants you to know that but see the temptation in those times is to get into self-pity and when you get into self-pity you have undermined your faith 
Your faith is in danger of failing when you get into self-pity. And the temptation there is also to be angry at God. Look at them. They're prospering. And I know they're not been as faithful as I have been. I know they don't even give what I give. I know they don't do what I do. And look, they're prospering, God. And see, you're going to have a temptation there to be angry at God. And Satan's going to tell you God's not fair. He's going to tell you how unfair it is. And you're going to have a temptation there to doubt the justice of God. But I want to tell you something. I want to remind you of something this morning. You put this down in you, and you don't ever let go of it. I want you to remember, God didn't cause your problem. God didn't bring your trial. God didn't cause it, and He didn't even allow it. You have a problem, family, because you live in a fallen world. That's basically it in a nutshell. You live in a fallen world where the Bible says Satan is the God of this world system. And he's not fair. God is fair, but he's not fair. Satan don't play fair. He don't look at you and say, man, that's the most faithful woman in the church. I won't touch her. No, he says that's the most faithful woman in the church. She's a target. And you have a trial because of that. And God's not your problem, but he is your only solution. And you are in trouble when you're mad at him. Because you're mad at the only way out. There's just one way out, and that's Jesus. And when you get mad at him, you are in a pickle. Because now you're estranged from the answer to the problem. No, get mad at the devil. Get mad at the devil. Amen? Another thing that happens in the garden, another lesson you learn there, is in the garden you decide to believe. See, it's in the trial that we find out if we really believe the Word of God. Before the trial, before the trial, you only prepare to believe. Now listen to me there, catch that. You don't really believe until you have the trial. You can say, I believe in healing, and it's a good thing to say, go ahead and say it. But you'll know when you believe in healing when you're in the middle of the night and your kid's got 104 fever. Then you'll know if you believe in healing. You'll know what you really believe in that time. But before that time, you prepare to believe. See, I want to tell you something. When you go into the garden... You'll get in there and you'll get out quicker if you got a renewed mind. You go in with a renewed mind and you get out quicker. When sickness attacks your body, if your mind's renewed, you're going to get the victory quicker. If you're starting from ground zero, it's going to take a little while. You're going to have to renew your mind. Man, I tell you, when the finances hit bottom, when the IRS letter comes, when somebody sues you, you're better off if you've got a renewed mind. Amen? Before the garden is when you renew your mind and you prepare to believe. And another thing we learned in the garden, and this will help you, it's in the garden that you truly find out and you truly know that God is always there. And it's in the garden that you find out that really only God can help you. That nobody else can really help you. See, a lot of times we put a lot of pressure on other people to help us. You may put pressure on the body of Christ to help you. I've been there. I've been the pastor of a church. Michael and I pastoring a church when there was a woman in the church dying of cancer and she wanted the church to get her healed. And we can't do it for you, family. We can teach the Word, we can help you renew your mind, but we can't make those decisions for you. We can't receive it for you. 
And so it's in the garden that you find out God's all I need. He's the only one that's always there. And He truly is the only one that can help. You can read all the self-help books in the world. You know, you could go down here to Books A Million and there are so many self-help books to how to help yourself. When you've been to the garden, you know, just like Joe in Little Women. Little Women, Joe said she found out she was helplessly flawed. And family, we've already all found out we're all helplessly flawed. We cannot help ourselves. If y'all found out you can't help yourself, that it's only Jesus that can do it, it's there that you find out that nobody else can heal you, that your husband can't heal you. I had to learn this because my daddy always took care of me. I had a good daddy. He took care of me. Then my husband always took care of me. But I came to a trial once in my life where daddy couldn't help me and Michael Billings couldn't help me. And it's a revelation. When you've been the kind of little girl that somebody took care of all your life and you never even went out on your own, you went straight from your daddy's house to your husband's house. Somebody always took care of me and I was an only child so you can imagine how that was. And daddy just took care of everything. And then when I got married, I just married a husband that just thought he was supposed to do the same thing. I mean, he treats me like a queen. I do. He calls me the queen of everything. He treats me like a queen. He serves me coffee every morning. He brings it to my bedroom. He just treats me like that. And he just likes to do it. He's got a servant's heart. And that's what he likes to do. But even with a husband like that, you find out real soon there's a lot of things that your husband can't do for you that others can't do it for you. Mama can't get it for you. Maybe it's mama for you instead of daddy. Mama can't do it all the time for you. And so you find out that it's just God. And you find out that the best that people can offer, and sometimes they can't even offer this, that the best they can offer you is really faith and encouragement. They can encourage your faith, and that's really all people can do for you. You have to do it for yourself. You have to decide. Amen? Well, Jesus found that out in Mark 14 there. I'll just show you what he found out concerning his disciples there. Jesus was just like us. He wanted his disciples to help him with this. And it says in Mark 14 in verse 40, And when he returned, he found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy, neither wist they what to answer him. They couldn't even think of what to say to him. Here he is over in agony. I mean, he is in agonizing in the garden, and they can see that. There's stones throw away. They can see and hear that he's agonizing. And he's in agony, and here they are, and they can hear this all going on. Did they just sleep because they don't know what to answer him? They don't know what to say to him. They couldn't even offer him faith and encouragement. Their faith had not been built to that level yet where they could say, uh, well, and besides, how do you encourage the Son of God that it's okay, you're going to hell? but they didn't even understand that he was going to hell. So they had nothing to say to him, amen? And then Luke 22, I want to show you this. This is interesting. Verse 45. And when he rose up from prayer and was come to his disciples, he found them sleeping for sorrow. They were so sorrowful. I've seen people, you could get in such a place of sorrow that all you really could do is go to sleep. And that's where his disciples were. And so we learned that in the garden. Really, no one can do it for us. Only God is always there. Another thing we learn in the garden is that the Word of God is your dearest friend. In Proverbs, it says that there's a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. As I was preparing and meditating this, I believe the Holy Ghost showed me that the friend that sticketh closer than a brother is the Word of God. That the Word of God is what will stick to us. It's the Word of God that you can cling to. It's the Word of God 
that will put you over. Family, it's not a person. And if you're trying to make a person do it for you, you're making a big mistake. It's not in a person. No matter how good a husband, no matter how good a wife, hey, I'm all for good marriages. And there's blessings to them. But still, there are things we face in life that only God can do for us. Another thing we learn is that there's no other name by which man can be saved. We knew that in a salvation sense. I mean, we knew that the only way to get to heaven and the only way to get saved is Jesus in His name, right? But family, it's true in every realm of life. There's no other name by which man can be saved. There's no other name. There's no other name for healing. Did you know that they're losing the war on cancer? That they're losing the war. And who was it, E.W. Kenyon or one of those, maybe it was John G. Lake, he said, if they find a cure to cancer tomorrow, the curse is here. It'll just, something else will just break out. Some other disease will just break out. I hope you aren't putting your trust in medical doctors. We're glad for them. We're thankful for them. We'd probably all be dead if we didn't have them. But there's something else. There's a name of Jesus. There's the name of Jesus. And it goes deeper and higher. And it's in the garden that you find your true love. In the garden, you find out that your true love is not your spouse. Now, I have a good marriage, and I know many of you have really good marriages. And boy, I tell you, I'm for it. I'm for a good marriage. But family, you're mistaken if you think I won't be lonely when I get a spouse. You can be in a good marriage, and there's still going to be times when you feel all alone in the world. Hello. Don't look at me like y'all never felt that. Don't put your eyes on, I won't be lonely if I have a spouse. No, Jesus is your true love. He is the only friend that loveth at all times. I've been married two years in August. But i got to tell you honestly, I hadn't always loved at all times. My husband couldn't say, boy, Debbie loves me at all times. No, there's been times I've been really mad. <laughs> I've been really mad. I know there's been times he's been really mad at me. Praise God, God got us past it. Jesus is the friend that loveth at all times. He won't ever quit loving. And the last thing I want to point out to you in the garden, is it in the garden that you work out all your doubt and unbelief? It's in the garden that you decide to believe the Word of God. See, you've got to decide for yourself. It doesn't matter what I believe. You can't get healed on what I believe. You can't get your financial needs met on what I believe. I'll encourage you, and I want to encourage you, but you can't do it. It's what do you believe? And when you were in that garden and Jesus was there and he was deciding on what he believed. There's a few things here I want to just share quickly. When you come out of the garden, you have compassion for people. In Matthew 26 there, I want you to look at the compassion of Jesus when he came out of the garden. In Matthew 26, 45, it says, Then cometh he to his disciples, this was the third time he came back, and saith unto them, Sleep on now and take your rest. Sleep on now and take your rest. So he went to the garden and he got victory over his emotions. He got victory over his not wanting to go to the cross. He got the victory in his mind and his will and his emotions. And he wasn't there on the cross winning the victory. He won the victory in the garden of Gethsemane. He got the strength from God. The Bible says in one version we read there that an angel came and strengthened him. And he got the victory and he came out of the garden victorious. He already had the victory. He hadn't been to the cross yet. He hadn't been beaten yet. He hadn't been scourged yet. He hadn't died that horrible death yet. He hadn't even been to hell yet. But he already had the victory. He already had the victory. The agony part was already over. Because the agony is in the mind, will, and emotions. 
Amen? And he already had it. And when he came out, he had compassion on his disciples. He didn't come out and say, you sorry, no good things. Why didn't you pray with me? I'm unhappy with you. No, he said, sleep on now. He said, sleep on now and take your rest. He had compassion for people. And family, if you've never been to the garden, you'll be a lot better person when you come out of it. You really will. See, I was a minister's wife for years and had never been to the garden. Never really had a trial. Never really had a trial. And I wasn't a very compassionate minister's wife, I can tell you. I have a little doll in my house, and she's got a little sign in her hands, and it says, snap out of it. And I remember one time my aunt said to me, and she saw that little sign that says, snap out of it. She said, it's not always that simple. And I thought, it is too. Just snap out of it. But when you've been to the garden, well, you come out with compassion for people and you know it's not always as simple as snap out of it. You can have the victory and there's no sense you waller in there and your self-pity and all the stuff you're wallering in. You can make a decision and have the victory, but it may take you three trips like it did Jesus. Amen? And so when you come out of the garden, you're going to have a lot more compassion for people. When you also come out of the garden, look what he says here. He says in verse 46, Rise, rise. Come out of the garden. And he said, rise. You know, when you come out of the garden, you're going to rise to new heights in ministry. That's what Jesus did. He took on a whole new level of ministry. Oh, he had healed the sick before. He had met people's needs before. He had done a lot of ministry before, but he rose to new heights in ministry, wouldn't you say? And when you come out of the garden, you're going to rise to new heights in ministry. Praise God. You're going to find, after you come out of the garden, listen here in verse 46, rise, let us be going. Behold, he is at hand that doth betray me. You're going to find that when you come out of the garden that some you thought were with you couldn't take the heat. When you come out of the garden, you take on a new dimension in your spirit man. You take on a new glow. You take on a new victory. And there's some that won't be able to take the heat. And you're going to find that when you come out of the garden, your new level of spirituality is going to offend some. And the last thing you're going to find when you come out of the garden, you're going to have a new realization and you're going to already made a decision. I'm going on with God. I'm going on if no one goes with me. And you know, with Jesus, they didn't go with him. Not really. Peter that hid out, and then he denied him three times. That was right after the garden. They didn't go with him. But you have been empowered in the garden. You've got to make the decision to believe the Word of God. Some of you are going through situations. Some of you are faced with temptations to get out of the will of God. And you're going to have to make the decision. It wouldn't be agony if you didn't want to do it. It wouldn't be agony to your soul if it didn't look good. It wouldn't be agony if you weren't looking around and saying, yeah, but they all have it good. And if I did this, even though it's not God's will, it'd make my life better too. Well, you go to the garden and you say, not my will, but your will be done, Lord. Some of you have symptoms in your body and you're deciding you're in that place of deciding, I will believe the Word of God. I will believe the Word of God. Amen? Amen. And some of you are submitting in the garden. You feel a call of God on your life. You feel God calling you to do something. You feel God asking you to do something. And you're in that place and you're saying, I will do the will of God. I wonder if anybody ever really wants to go to the mission field or wants to go to Africa. I guess we do in a sense, but... We definitely realize that when we leave this United States, I don't care where you go, you're leaving something behind. You're leaving something behind here. Hallelujah. Let's pray this morning.